Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Archives. I am your curator and host for the evening, Philip Clark. Please consider this the inaugural episode for season two. That's right, we're back, and it is good to be back. You may be wondering where we have been. You may have some hunches as to why we ghosted, and if I'm being completely honest, many of these hunches are probably true. I won't get into detail, but yes, the Hidden Archives crew were severely impacted by the circumstances surrounding COVID. Unfortunately, many of our voice actors are unable to return at the moment. We are working with them and with new talent to see what sort of compromises we can come to. Unfortunately, this may be still a ways off. This will explain why you may hear the same actors performing several parts in the same episode, and why they may appear in multiple episodes as well. But I promise you that the people still involved are giving everything they can to performing this art for your entertainment. I won't take any more of your time with explanations of stuff you probably already know. After all, you came here for a story, so you should be pleased to hear what we have in store for you. To quote Dante, Midway upon the journey of my life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. Do not let yourself be lost in such a dark forest. Before you venture any further, you should take this warning to heart. What you are about to hear may disturb you. Violence, profanity, and unsettling content will follow. Consider yourself warned. This evening's tale comes from the travel section of the archives. After spending so much time in the archives during my quarantine, I have discovered many unusual treasures and oddities. However, I would not take this as a travel brochure. This story, titled Roadkill, follows a couple of rather unfortunate people that find themselves caught up in a battle between man, machine, and nature. It was dark that night, dark but uncommonly clear. Even so, the darkness was so thick that even the high beams on the little Toyota pickup seemed to barely make a dent in resolving the long stretch of I-70 into anything that could be considered navigable. Still, though, Kenny raced along this particular stretch of interstate, going just as fast as the little truck could manage. I cracked open yet another light beer and handed it to Kenny. One couldn't hear much over the pathetic hum of the tiny truck motor revving its nuts off as we sped along. All the same, the droll of classical music played on in the background, as the radio was stuck playing a mixtape of classical and orchestral hits. This tune was Piano Sonata No. 8 in C minor. Normally, this wasn't the type of music that Kenny and I liked to listen to. However, 
it was apparently much more to the taste of the old man from whom we had stolen the truck under the still cover of such a night. Behind the sound of the truck's engine and the classical music, the last thing one could hear was the rattling and buzzing of about a dozen or so empty beer cans on the floorboards. These noises were only interrupted by the occasional spritz crackle of a new beer being opened. We had already stolen the truck in which we were waxing well over the speed limit towards the next state. What would it matter if we were also drinking and driving at this point? I guess it only mattered for Kenny, as far as the laws are concerned. I wasn't driving. Fuck it, right? Piano Sonata Number 8 ended, and box Cello Suite and D started up. What the shit is a stupid-ass music? Kenny scoffed as he tossed his now-empty beer can in front of the pedals at his feet. Uh, Kenny, maybe you shouldn't toss it down there. The fuck are you talking about? The beer can. What if it gets stuck under the pedals? Oh, yeah, because there's really going to be a reason to stop on a hundred miles of straight and empty fucking road. Kenny chortled as he scoffed once again. Whatever, I muttered as I turned away to stare out of the window. What do I fucking know? Kenny sighed and shook his head as he continued racing on down the godforsaken interstate. The beer cans, music, and motor were all white noise as each of us men, children really as that's how we were behaving, stared out of our own piece of glass into the void ahead. This went on for about 30 minutes or so before Kenny's eyes started to become irritated as they watered from a mix of the booze and his concentration on the road. A little further on, the road took a slight turn as it crested a small hill. On either side of the hill, there were embankments where the hill had been cut away to make passage for the road. Right before the truck crested the hill, Kenny rubbed his eyes. As he did this, the truck ceased its straining to reach the top. At that point, however, a deer crept across the road and into the focus of the high beams. Kenny didn't even notice it until I shouted, Whoa, shit! At which point he swerved to miss it. But it was too little, too late. The truck struck the deer, just barely, on its hind quarters. We were still going quite fast when this happened so the truck started to swerve and fishtail as Kenny tried to regain control. This was an all-but-frivolous endeavor as the truck crossed into the opposite lane where Kenny overcorrected and sent it sliding into a ditch, then slightly up an embankment back beside our original lane, about 50 yards or so past the deer we had just hit. When the truck finally came to a rest, the engine died and all went silent. What the hell? We hit something, Kenny! Oh shit, we're fucked! Calm down, you drunk idiot. There's only a deer. Dumb animal. Kenny tried to start the truck. No luck. He tried again. Still, no luck. Now he was angry. He opened the driver door and stumbled drunkenly out of the truck. As we made our way around to the front, we could see that the accident had completely destroyed the passenger side front quarter of it. The headlight, the body panel, and part of the bumper, all mangled beyond recognition or use. There also seemed to be a slight smell of radiator fluid. 
we thought for certain the truck was dead. I joined Kenny and just stared in disbelief at the front of the vehicle. I cursed and muttered under my breath about the incident. Sure, the situation seemed pretty damn bad from any perspective, but with this being a stolen vehicle, and with both of us being impaired, it was especially bad because now we couldn't call for help. That is, unless we figured going to jail was a better option than being stranded hours away from the nearest town in the middle of the night. I didn't like either option, I'll say that much. All this started to become clear to Kenny, too, which made him even more angry. He shouted, kicked the truck, nearly breaking his foot in the process, and reached for the utility knife that he kept on his belt. The same knife that had a blade more than adequate in size and strength to pry the truck door open, enough for him to hit the unlock button when we stole the vehicle to begin with. He pulled the knife from its harness and started marching back down the road. Kenny, what are you doing, man? Where are you going? He was prone to fits of rage and erratic behavior that could be unpredictable and dangerous. It was a wonder I still kept his company, knowing all of this. But what can I say? When there's nothing to do, getting in trouble sure makes the time pass, and Kenny was good at finding ways to do just that. Boredom is the real killer. Back to that fucking deer, Kyle. If he isn't dead yet, he will be. You can be damn sure of that. He knew killing the deer wouldn't fix the truck, but he was drunk and angry, and he felt like he needed to get some sort of primal revenge. So he made his way back towards the top of the hill, where the pale glow of the moon shone like a beacon on the injured animal. As soon as he could see this, he started running and stumbling towards the animal. I had no choice but to stay in tow, watching the scene unfold, staring in bewildered amazement and disgust. As we reached the animal, we could see that it was clearly still alive and only stunned. Hell, if given a few more minutes, the deer may have even been able to get back up and walk it off, so to speak. But Kenny was set on revenge. Before the deer could react, Kenny ran up and kicked it in the neck. This dazed it even further, which allowed Kenny to flip it onto its back. He then did his best to straddle himself over the animal's midsection. He bent down close and yelled, You bitch! right next to the deer's ear before proceeding to punch it a few times with the fist in which he held the knife. I just stared on in shock and horror, unable and unwilling to do anything. When Kenny felt satisfied, if a bit exhausted from punching the helpless deer, he righted himself sighed, and then laughed as he combed his blood-soaked fingers through his own hair. Again, he bent down close to the animal's face, but whispered this time, You wrecked my truck. Now, I'm taking your heart. Although the deer was dazed and helpless, it was still alive and aware as Kenny reached up, both hands gripping the knife in savage bliss like a primitive caveman for the kill and he plunged the knife into the sternum of the deer. It wailed and kicked weakly, and in pain as the knife stuck in the bone. Kenny hadn't expected the knife to get stuck. 
He struggled to remove it as he braced his foot above the wound and gripped the knife with both hands to jerk it out. The deer, in paralyzing agony, thrashed slightly as the knife released itself, causing Kenny to stumble backwards onto his ass. With the knife free, the deer relaxed a bit to breathe in short, sharp gasps. What? You think this is funny? You think you win? Kenny antagonized the deer. Well, I'm not done yet. I'm getting your heart, and I will show it to your bitch ass still beating. Ah, Jesus, Kenny. What the hell is wrong with you? Let it go. Put the damn thing out of its misery. No, I'm fucking boss here. I'll do what I said. Kenny pushed himself up and back on top of the animal. He stared at its midsection to find an easier way to accomplish his goal. He could see the rapid rise and fall of the deer's diaphragm just below its ribcage. He grabbed the previous knife wound with his left hand to both torture the animal and brace himself so that with his right hand, he could hold the knife blade in an up-facing position. He then plunged it under the deer's sternum this time, tearing a long wound in the process. He felt around inside with the knife until he felt the fading beat of the deer's heart. With his prize located, he pulled and cut until he was able to pull the organ from the animal's chest. He didn't expect it to actually keep beating once it was free from the deer. I didn't expect this. It was a sight of grim horror and fascination to behold. But he kept his word and just held the heart in front of the deer's face, still beating slower and slower until he was certain the life was all drained from the deer. Then, the heart stopped beating. With his goal accomplished, prize in hand, he wiped a bead of sweat from his forehead with his bloodied sleeve. He stood up, the knife in one hand, the heart in the other, and walked slowly back towards the truck, passing me where I stood in a horrified trance from the scene that had just unfolded, mute and numb. As Kenny was about halfway between the truck and the place of carnage which he had just created, he shouted back at me, without so much as turning, Are you coming or not? I snapped out of my state of shock and hurried back to the truck. I got in the truck first. As Kenny got in, he reached across me, blood dripping from his hand onto my lap, and opened the glove box. A half-empty pack of camel cigarettes fell to the floor and rested on top of the pile of empty beer cans. Kenny brushed several bits of junk and paper out of the glove box and then set both the knife and the heart inside. A dim yellow light in the glove box provided just enough illumination for me to be able to see the steam rising from the still warm heart and the cool of the truck. Then, the door was shut and the scene suppressed. Why are you keeping that, Kenny? What's going on with you tonight? Kenny just shifted back to an upright position in the driver's seat. Without addressing my inquiry, he said, Let's try this one last time. He put the key in the ignition. Moonlight Sonata started playing on the radio. He turned the key, 
and the truck fired to life again. We started once again down the long stretch of interstate. Neither of us talked. No new beers were opened. They were all gone, and neither of us would have even thought to start drinking again after the nightmare we had just created. Moonlight Sonata ended, and then started up again. We both sat there, the truck now at a more reasonable speed with only one headlight shining forth, and we kept our personal silence. I went back to staring out of the passenger side window. My nerves were still a bit frayed, and I knew this, but even so, I thought I saw something odd along the side of the road. Just a quick flash of yellow light as the truck passed by. Not long after this, I saw it again. Two tiny orbs just floating above the shoulder of the road. Then there were more and more until it seemed like there were hundreds of tiny lights illuminated like reflectors by the solitary headlight of the truck. Kenny, are you seeing this shit, man? You see all these lights? Yeah, it's weird. Like I've seen it before. Like I shine from a bunch of cats. What? You think those are eyes? Yeah, yeah. It's like they're watching us. The road remained empty from other motorists. The air remained cold. The night remained dark perhaps comparatively darker from all the ambient light being reflected back in such a dazzling manner. It was as if there were thousands upon thousands of tiny eyes watching the truck cruise along from the roadside as we passed by, and then passing a light of their own judgment back upon us. More and more eyes by the roadside. They amassed until it was as if the stars had fallen from the sky only to come to rest on barren interstate shoulders. Then, there were shooting stars, darting across the eternally dashed line of yellow. However, it never seemed as if the little truck would hit them. It never seemed that either Kenny or I cared in those fleeting moments. We just sat in stunned silence as the truck raced along. Silence, that is except for the hum of the engine, the rattle of beer cans, and the now perpetual replaying of Moonlight Sonata on a radio that would neither turn down, turn off, nor reach the end of the tape. Once it had seemed as though the situation had reached the absolute limits of what it had become, something changed. Because something had to change. Consistency went to climax, and this was no guarantee of what one may understand to be a finalization of anything into something copacetic. Essentially, we had reached a point in the situation where everything had finally coalesced into a mass that had to implode in on itself so that a resolution could be met, so that what was set in motion could finally reach the end of its creation, and thus, descent into destruction. There was a new rattle in the truck. 
a scurrying of sorts. The beer cans jumped and shifted. I flinched, startled in my seat. I felt something brush my leg, something fuzzy, but it was also cold and damp. At first, we couldn't locate the source of the disturbance. After it had brushed my leg through the beer cans, it, whatever it was, had vanished. Kenny shouted, Check under the seat. I think I heard it down there. Nothing there but trash, cigarette butts, crumpled receipts, stale french fries, and of course, beer cans. Because I was not wearing my seatbelt anyway, I remained intent on discovering the source of the chaos within the truck and proceeded to try and crumple myself between the seat behind me and the dashboard and footwell in front of me. But there was too much in the way on the floor. So, with the truck still moving at high speeds, I sat back down properly, opened the door against the resistance of the wind, and kicked the garbage out onto the road. But before I could close the door, several somethings jumped in. They were all but invisible in the darkness. However, I felt several brush up against me. All of them just as cold, damp, and fuzzy as the thing before. And then there was a smell so putrid, yet so subtle. And the things scurried about the truck. They didn't quite attack us, not really. But they ran all over us. There was clawing, scratching, grabbing. They were rubbing up against us and smearing us with a sticky, gritty, putrid substance. We could feel the inadvertent scratching of something that was neither claws nor teeth. We both panicked. There was no choice but to continue to swat and slap at the raging onslaught. We yelled and moaned in awestruck horror as the truck moved on. It was because of this, the open-mouthed terror, that I finally identified the wet and sticky substance. It was getting in my mouth. It tasted bitter and metallic, sour and evil. It was cold blood. Too much of it to have dried, but definitely old. As we slapped at the horde, several things inside the truck happened. First, one of us, or one of the creatures, hit the interior light switch. This illuminated the situation so that we could see the damned horror and all of its foreboding glory. These animals in the truck were barely more than pelts of crushed and broken carrion. They were roadkill. Their jagged, splintered bones were the source of the scratching that was neither claws nor teeth. Dried and drying blood crusted their fur. Tiny, nearly severed limbs grabbed, kicked, and released clothing and flesh. The second thing that happened in the truck was that the volume knob on the radio got turned. Although it wouldn't mute the track of Moonlight Sonata, it would amplify it until it was now at this point of deafening volume. The third and final thing, the truck raced on. This continued for only a few minutes, but it seemed like a frenzied eternity. It continued until I finally yelled, Stop the fucking truck! Kenny was already swerving, 
but now he thrashed for the brakes as he jerked the wheel from side to side. The brake pedal wouldn't give. Something was underneath it. Every time he tried pounding on it, I could hear a squeak and a crack. One of those critters, by intent or by happenstance, was blocking the travel of the brake pedal. Kenny had only one option to stop the truck. He took the shifter and, without being able to depress the clutch for the same reason he couldn't put on the brakes either, he slammed the stick into first gear, grinding it and causing the truck to skid to a halt. It was amazing that the truck hadn't crashed before this point, but that is not what was supposed to happen. Everything that was supposed to happen up to this point had. The truck now sat motionless in the middle of the interstate. We opened the doors to escape, and the dead critters inside vanished into the night. Bloodied and bruised, we stood beside the truck. The lights of all the eyes stood, still staring from the roadside, until two by two, they began to disappear. The full moon sat like a spotlight on the horizon at the end of the road in the distance. We stared at it. Then, only two eyes remained, slowly rising to the center of the moon inside of a darkened silhouette. It looked very much like the label on a Jägermeister bottle. I tried to run, tried to escape the scene that was about to unfold. I wanted to get away from Kenny, the reanimated roadkill, the destroyed little fucking pickup truck. But where could I go? I made it back to the truck, got down on my belly, and rolled underneath it for what little cover and protection it might provide. And I watched. The only remaining headlight on the truck stayed lit. It shone just enough light to reveal the progress of the approaching eyes. They got bigger and bigger. The silhouetted creature, to whom they belonged, began to obscure the moon until it was just about upon Kenny. Finally, he realized what it was. It was a deer. A singular deer was walking slowly and intently toward Kenny, who remained frozen in the headlight of the truck and the glow of the moon. As the deer moved closer, Kenny could see something hanging down from its midsection. It looked like a length of rope between two small curtains. As the deer moved into the light of the truck, Kenny could see what hung from the animal were its innards. They dragged along the ground, picking up filth and leaving a trail of blood that shone like a river in the light of the night. Kenny backed away still facing the slowly approaching animal. He stumbled over something in the road and fell backwards. Now, prone on the ground, eyes still fixed on the deer, he crawled backwards, helpless to get up and run, until the deer was upon him. They both froze. Then, the deer took a few steps until he stood over Kenny. It bent down until they were face to face. It snorted steamy, warm breath into Kenny's face. The heat and vapor were enough to burn his eyes. Now, the animal's nothing more 
then a cold and evil silhouette against the moon. The headlight on the truck died. The eyes that had disappeared only a few moments earlier returned and began to move in as a crowded circle upon Kenny and the deer until they surrounded the pair. Moonlight Sonata stopped playing. Early the next morning, the sun rose over the long and barren stretch of I-70. A state patrol car had been called to investigate an abandoned vehicle on the side of the road. Officer Pulaski had parked just behind it. She was training a new deputy how to handle such situations. You know, a little investigation and such before the vehicle is to get towed off to an impound lot until the owner reclaims it. I know this because somehow I had survived the night. I watched what happened next from behind a rock a little ways from the road. I could hear the conversation in its entirety. Okay, Sam, it looks pretty cut and dry here. The truck was reported stolen yesterday. In the description, the owner didn't mention any damage, but it does look like whoever stole it crashed it. Probably hit a deer and moved on, abandoning the truck here. But where's the deer? Uh, well, your guess is as good as mine. They probably didn't kill it. Otherwise, the truck would have been too damaged to make it off to the side of the road like this. But it does look like there's a bit of blood and fur on the damaged area. Plus, no other motorists have reported any accidents along this stretch recently, so I think it's a safe bet. Check the glove box. The thief may have taken the registration and insurance to try and cover their tracks, make the truck harder to pin down as to whom it belongs. Shit like that never works, but they still do it. Whatever. Sam, the deputy, crawled inside the truck. He opened the glove box and then yelled out, Ma'am, I think you should see this. Officer Pulaski walked over to the truck and peeked inside the glove box. Is that what I think it is, ma'am? Is that a hat? Yep. Human, by the looks of it. The heart twitched, causing the young deputy to jump and stumble out of the truck. Officer Pulaski leaned in closer and moved the heart aside in the glove box. There, behind the first, was a second heart. But this one was different. Probably from a deer. Pulaski said, Son, quit your shaking and come take a look. The deputy, hesitantly, peered over the shoulder of Officer Pulaski. Is... is that a second one? Yeah, it sure as shit is. Must have been a passenger with the poor soul that stole this damn truck. How do you get that, ma'am? I mean, how could you know that the hats in there belonged to the guy or guys that stole the truck? What if it was a murder? I said it was a second heart. I never said anything about it being human. Try to pay better attention, huh? Who, or whatever, did this wants us to know. Well, they probably meant it as a symbol, anyhow. My guess is that the animal is still out there, waiting for its chance at the passenger. Once it finds him, it'll take his heart and then it'll be able to reclaim its own heart. Can't do it until justice is served, I guess. Ain't the first case like this I've seen, but definitely the most brutal. Look, 
Don't worry about it, kid. You'll pick up on this kind of thing after you've been working these roads a while. And no sense filling out a report, either. Let me handle it. There isn't going to be any other evidence or anything else to find that you would put in any sensible report. They covered it all up except for those hearts there. The deputy, Sam, looked shaken by the nonchalant manner in which Officer Pulaski was handling the situation. So Pulaski addressed him. It was the animals, kid. They don't like being messed with, alive or dead. Like I said, you'll catch on. It'll become old hat. You'll know it next time you see it. Hell, I knew it. Pulaski muttered to herself. The animals are always better at covering these things up than the people who killed them. I do not look forward to hunting season. I waited until they were gone, and then I ran. I walked for what seemed like hours until a semi-truck finally picked me up. I'm just glad I didn't have to spend another night out there. But I know it's not over. Not if what those cops said is true, anyway. The trucker dropped me off at a rest stop in the middle of butt-fuck nowhere. So that's where I am now. I was able to snatch a phone from someone else traveling down the road. But by the time I finally got here, it was almost dark. I don't want to risk leaving at night. I can't be out there with the animals. I know they're coming for me. So I'm holding up here, writing this from a stolen phone and saving it to the notes app, behind the locked and bolted door of a rest stop bathroom. Cars and trucks have stopped coming here for the night. I'm alone. It's past midnight, and it's freezing. Oh, and I can hear the labored breathing of a large animal outside. The stench of old blood and death is overpowering the shit smell from the toilets. I know I'm fucked. Well, I don't often like to brag about my own writing, but I do want to let you know that I put a lot of heart into this one. You may even say that I had a lot of drive to complete it for you. I hope I didn't truck anything up. Okay, fine. That last one was a bit of a reach. Oh dear. Once again, I'd like to welcome you back and thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, and Archivum. <laughs>